New to Legacy? Returning after a long break? This is the episode for you. Next on Eternal Journals. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Bro, it's going great. We have a very special guest on the yeah. cast today. Yeah. I'd like to introduce Aaron Gibbons, who welcome. is a, a longtime Magic player, returning after a long break, and we're going to learn about his experience and what, what, what outlets he used to get back into this game after all of the overhaul that's happened. I'm going to let uh, Aaron introduce himself in a moment, but to give you a rundown, he never experienced Ragavan, didn't experience <laughs> Renin Six, didn't experience Oko, didn't experience Dreadhorde Arcanist. All of these things that have overhauled our lives, yeah. he, he he wasn't around for, and now he's back in. How do you do it? Aaron, take it away. Yeah, uh, my name's Aaron. I uh, got into Legacy probably, let's see, seven, seven, eight years ago. Um, got into it with Death and Taxes, and... All, first off, all those cards you said, I, I don't know what they do. Uh, so Listen, you know, we can, we can this, on your house. We can approach <laughs> this from from a I've never played Legacy stage yeah. too. If you're if you're watching, yeah, yeah. So um, just kind of got into the format, however I could, and I just found that I had played Standard, I had played Commander, I had played uh, Modern, um, but then there was this this new level of every single phase of a turn matters because there's so much interaction and the stack got so much bigger than I'd ever seen in any other format. And I was like, I was hooked. Um, so started learning all the little dirtily things you could do with um, D&T, tried out blade lists, uh, ended up falling in love with control, um, played a lot of control. Uh, coming back to Magic... Um, I left initially because I was just super hyper-focused on work. We were launching our own business and brand. It, it just took a lot of focus and I couldn't really have time. I didn't have time to travel or do anything for magic. So I just set it to the side. Uh, came back to it just because, you know, a little bit of time opened up, uh, job shift. And then I, I just enjoyed the game still. The game, it, it seems like w whenever you get into it, the game is still just as good. Um, well, that's the one I, beautiful thing about magic yeah. is it'll 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 still be there for you when you're ready to come back. Mm -hmm. Aaron, did you hang on to your collection even while you were taking a break? I hang on. I hung on to a majority of it, uh, not all of it. Um, I hung on to the dual lands, obviously, and that's about it. Um, a handful of other things. But yeah, a, a fun fact that you and I uh, overlap in a a, a unique. Uh, way in our quest to becoming control bros is uh <laughs> you you were a thalia gamer and uh when i first started i was casting aether vial with merfolk and then tried led uh as a storm guy and none of that worked and so i started casting entreat the angels so to give everybody some context as to how uh aaron and i met he just reached out on discord he was like hey man can you talk to me about some control lists that i'm like sort of tinkering with and we hopped on a call he told me how he had just gotten back into the game. And so to that extent, we started talking and then we were like, oh, I was like, oh, your experience of getting back into the game could be useful for like a ton of other players, particularly for other players that like are currently actively playing, but aren't necessarily playing legacy yeah. as a means to get into the game. So beyond just asking a, a diehard Miracles bro on uh, Discord to chat, are, were there any other resources that you use to like get back into the game to get acclimated with legacy again? We should take yeah. this moment also to to point out that you should go to our Discord and join it. 
you know, the link is below. Uh, it's a great way to meet other people playing Legacy. Yeah, for, I mean, I would just, I, I agree. I mean, community is huge. So reaching out to a handful of the people that I knew that still played and like, hey, you guys still playing? What's going on? Uh, obviously, uh, you know, type in MTG Top 8. I'm like, what do decks even look like right now? Yeah. Um, leaving, Miracles was still prevalent. Uh, uh, there was a lot of Miracles control lists. Not, it wasn't the most popular control, but it was still pretty popular. Um, Anarog was Miracles Die Hard. Uh, popped onto one of his streams and saw him playing some four color stuff. And I started like skipping through all of the old videos. I'm like, okay, well, where's the miracles? And it just didn't exist. I was like, oh, well, that's weird. Like he, this guy's diehard miracles player. Um, so I started digging through and miracles didn't seem to exist. And then uh, found some really cool miracles cards. I actually uh, stumbled. I typed in miracles um, legacy on YouTube uh 90s uh mtg popped up and that's where i discovered 40k force phil that labeling so so chris Benucci, who hosts 90s mtg he yeah. labels my, whenever i play i'm playing with triumph of saint catherine which is the new miracle card from the 40k warhammer decks in uh -huh. the commander product and so he labels the uh deck 40k miracles but then i have people because my deck is fully altered i have people go Phil, is it called 40k miracles because it's worth 40k? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I thought quite. That, that's actually what I thought until just now. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like, I was just like totally just like, look how look how much values in this list. No, it's it's, it's 40k because it's it's referencing Warhammer, but I found Got that it was it. confusing for people coming to it for the first time. In, oh, in the grim darkness of the future, there are only 40k magic decks. Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, came, coming back, I wasn't as familiar with Warhammer. So when I saw Triumph, I wasn't aware that they even merged uh, all different universes into the Magic universe, you know, with like Walking Dead cards. All of a sudden, I walked by the shelf. I first caught my eye was I was walking by looking in the case at the local shop when I finally came in and there was a Godzilla card. And I was, and there's a post Malone card. I was just like, wow, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> you know what? All this changed um, so quickly that now all these universes started coming. Now the Lord of the Rings set coming out and very exciting cards in there, you know, for control mm -hmm. players and other people as well. Um, but yeah, so I started looking at lists uh, initially tried to play very standard control that I was used to. Um, and uh, as I was talking with Phil, there has been a power creep <laughs> that I was not used to. And there's cards like Urza's Saga that on their own just win the game if they're played and you don't deal with them. So I had to adjust the way you play control. Um, struggled for the first three weeks. Uh, from being like, whenever I used to go to my local, I felt very confident always being at the top tables or close to you know, top eight pretty much every time I felt pretty comfortable uh to not even feeling like i could win a game um not knowing what's out there there's some card out there I forget, there's a bunch of ones that do it but they give you initiative <laughs> and learning what initiative is and i was like this is insane and it just keeps repeating <laughs> so really really cool mechanics to come back to and try to figure out and yeah so it was a combination of your own research, looking up lists. And is mm -hmm. that what you, is, is that more or less, was it just like a, a given amount of effort uh, to like 
learn what the cards in the decks that were showing up in those top eight lists look like and then thinking about how you would approach a control deck towards them or did you look at the stock control lists pilot them recognize why those cards were there and do it that way were you were you a, a were you more in theory based or were you more in trial and error to get back in I'd say a healthy mix of both. Um, I didn't have a lot of people to play with, so a lot of it was theory to start. Um, I was looking at control lists, and and playing control is such a different archetype. I find than like when I played tempo or I played you know mid rangey decks or even combo decks, um, you, you have a pretty laid out game plan of what you're trying to do, and you play the deck. Uh, whereas control has a difference as you play the meta, and so I struggled a lot because one, to play control well, you need to know what the meta looks like, what cards even exist, what cards am I fighting over, what cards am I allowing to resolve, things like that. And because your resources, your resources are also limited and you have to make sure you're using them on the highest value targets, right? And getting card advantage. So coming back, it was a lot of, okay, well, what cards are in the, what decks are primarily showing up on the top eight? versus tabletop and online because those are very two, two very different metas um and then trying to understand why people were running certain cards you know like i had talked with you the one list like uh came across that staff versus list um where i was like why is triumph in the sideboard like if you're gonna run it why aren't you just running it and you know having that talk with you and being like well you know it's really not great in a lot of matchups but when it's good it's good you know, and it's like, this is where you bring it in and started. Okay, well, that makes more sense because as a former mirror, um, I didn't get to play miracles with top though. So I will say that not, not that uh, experience with top or anything, but the miracles list I was playing, you were committed to the miracle strategy. There was terminus and typically intrigued or something in the main board. And that was your strategy. You're running portents, predicts, uh, accumulated knowledges and things like that uh, when I was stepping out. So trying to adjust and learn how to play uh legacy again was a mix i would say definitely of like talking to friends um getting in and just throwing myself in there and figuring out what worked didn't work approaching every loss humbly and being like hey you know okay i lost but this is how i boarded what does your deck even do do you mind showing me you know and this and you know the one thing i found uh, especially about the legacy community is everyone is so excited about their deck that they play yeah that they are just so willing to go, look at this cool new card that's in here. This does this and this does that. So just sitting there and after a match, and let's say you lose a real quick 0-2, you lose. Just say, like talking with them and saying, hey, you know, like, what does your deck do? And then if you were playing my deck, how would you board? And just like laying out your deck and showing them. And they're like, oh, and people are always so willing to help you get back into it. You know, reaching out like I did online. There's so many communities and, and especially in legacy it's very tight-knit where and people are just so willing to sit there talk with you uh if you don't even know what questions to ask just looking like look i looked at this i don't understand why someone's running this in their deck it doesn't look good to me why is it there there's an expert at every single archetype in legacy that you can find and talk to i'm sure yeah well i i think you touched on a really important uh like just just overall lesson of magic the gathering but a really great lesson in legacy uh to, to quote the Dalai Lama, when you lose, don't lose the lesson. And I think those those last like five minutes after you end end a match and you and you're done the game, getting that getting that discussion in with your opponent is often more important than playing the match. Mm, yeah. 
I very much so agree. I think that there's something to be said about, uh, particularly when you're learning an archetype or learning a deck or trying to get more reps, to the, the value that you get off of those reps, where actually approaching the games, even if you're mid-game, if you don't know how to approach a certain moment or anything like that, even just like jotting a note down on the side to ask afterwards, more mm -hmm. often than not, your opponents will be happy to talk about those situations because if you're thinking about it, they're probably also thinking about it too. And if they're more experienced, they might be able to relay some information. A lot of the ways that I figured out which sideboard cards I want as, an, as another control mage against certain archetypes is when I lose to an opponent that is crushing me with, against a certain list, I'll ask, what are the cards you are afraid of? Like, what are the things that you don't want to see across the board? that give you trouble and in what positions are those cards most leveraged against you and they'll usually share you know like I, it's the same thing if anybody were to ask me like people all the time will say i tried this out or i boarded this they'll explain to me what they did i remember i had a conversation this past week i was playing against um uh, a guy who plays delver pretty routinely and i was on you know my 40k list and you know five five bane slayers are just uh, crazy good in that matchup if you don't have any specific targeted answers for a five five life linker it's probably going to you know end the game by itself but when he was showing me he boarded out like uh, uh one card here one card here he sort of like just shaved his numbers and i remember thinking for the longest time i was always thinking every time my opponent plays a wasteland if it's not backed by damage you know if that wasteland wastelanding me isn't trading for a turn that they're converting damage that wasteland is a wasted slot in in my view it's a it's a card that's not worth anything if it's not converting time in the matchup and so i remember thinking if i were playing delver against me and you know he was playing a, a new version with the dragons the tarkir battle the card battle. Yeah. yeah 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 so every version is going to have you know different nuances but for the most part if you're playing stock delver if i was playing stock delver against you know a generic jeskai control list I would go down for, I would drop my wastelands, go from 18 lands to 14 lands to board in like all my pyroblasts and just be this insanely threat dense deck, knowing that my mana is never going to be under duress because the axis that the control decks don't play on is fighting over mana. And even if they have something like Ruination or something like that in the board, they're not bringing it in against Delver because that's not the point. That's not how you beat Delver. So if I were playing against me and as a Delver pilot, I would just cut the wastelands. But that wasn't necessarily something that crossed his mind. Maybe you cut a wasteland or two, but never to drop all the way down to 14 lands and just be this efficient, optimized, like, like very densely packed uh, action machine. And granted, I don't know if that's the correct strategy, but every time I was saying, like, I never fear when you play the first wasteland, if it's not backed by a uh, threat, or if you don't have a heavy wasteland draw to line up with my non-basic draw. Like, and those, those are variables that aren't necessarily in your control. And so leveraging that sort of, but like, that's the sort of information that you would gain by just asking your opponent after the game, if you can remember, like, I don't know how to board. And so your take of, you know, approaching the game with a, 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 a mindset to learn rather than a mm -hmm. mindset to win when you're first getting back in is I think one of the most uh, important uh, tool, important takeaways rather. I think uh, there there was a recent episode of uh, Eternal Glory where uh, they talked about this having having like a learner's mindset. Uh, it was it was actually specifically about getting into legacy, and they were talking about having a learner's mindset and being uh, being honest with yourself about why you lost, and also if you're not able to figure out why you lost, is like checking in on on your opponent and saying like, "Hey, how how this happened?" You know, 
And even if you didn't lose, like, still, it's fine to ask these questions uh, and be like, hey, like, you know, when we were fighting over what, uh, whatever it was, why did you do this or whatnot? What was going on in your mind? Because it just helps you to get into the get into the mind of the the opponent a, a lot better, too. Dude, I had a, I, I don't know, uh, Aaron, you'll tell me if you have anybody at the shop, because I want to ask about the people that you were with when you for, when you got back in. But this pat like even when you're uh, been playing control for years, having never taken a break, I've been playing consistent control consistently for you know a decade, and to this day, I, I I try to maintain a learner's mindset as best I possibly can. This past week at the shop, uh, I had uh, my buddy Andrew sitting next to me while I was playing a, a not a control mirror, but I was playing against five color Yorion Zenith, and. Mm-hmm. My Andrew can see my hand and all the decisions that I'm making with what cards I'm putting back up, brainstorm, et cetera, et cetera. And there was one moment where I I recognized at some point in the game, I was like, oh, that was the moment that I think I punted this game away. Had I just not fetched at this particular time, I think I would have at least had the tools to deal with the thing that I ultimately have died, I died to. And I should have been able to recognize that. And I turned to Andrew the second that I recognized that moment, I turned to him and I go, you're thinking of the same moment I'm thinking of that I punted this game, right? And he was like, yeah, I think so. And then afterwards, we talked about it. And you know, it's like, it was one of those things where I I believed I thought I, I recognized the situation. But I turned to somebody who was also watching that I, re- I respect as a player and said, am I right? Do you think that this is correct? My analysis of where I went wrong. And knowing that that was right, it reinforced like, okay, yes, I think I, I recognize... I'm recognizing my spots. It's good. Like my 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 craft is still there. If you if you know what I mean. So yeah. when you were when you were getting back in and talking to friends, did your friends were they the same people that were playing as when you took a break? Um. So I recognize some of the faces, but so when I primarily played a lot, it was I was traveling around with the same group of guys, and we were in Orange County, Temecula, and Los Angeles area. Um. Just kind of all over Southern California. And I had just barely tapped into the scene down in San Diego and started playing for maybe about three, three months. Um, so I recognized some of the faces, but I hadn't made connections with them really. But uh, it was enough to where I was able to chit chat with a few of them and kind of get an idea of like what's going on. I kept asking people, I'm like, who's the control player in the room that you guys all worry about? And no one, there was one guy that they're like, he's okay. Um, so that's when I started reaching out to you um what's that what's that line if you don't know who the if you don't know who the control player is it's you yeah, that's, that's very true <laughs> if you don't know who the sucker in the room is you're the sucker <laughs> there, there's, there's a handful of control players uh down there there's um another great guy mike Byrne. uh he's been chatting with me about different lists and different ideas so there's other guys that are, i think we're searching for how to play control um but one of the one of the things you know i, I love you're sitting there talking about asking those questions but being uh, conscious of not deciding whether something was good or bad based on outcome, you know, looking um, that one's huge because like, for instance, I sat there and I could talk about a play the other night where there was a, my opponent Molta five played one land. I was, I was on the play. I I play my land. He plays his land passes. um, And then I play my land. He doesn't play a land and plays uh, ponder. And so I went to misstep it and then he forced it and I forced it back because I, I was under the thought of, you know, Hey, is that important? He, uh, right? he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't have any land. He's fighting. He's trying to find land right now. You know, maybe it's a gotcha, but in reality, you know, I sat there and I talked through it with my other friend. He's like, you know, your mental misstep was a him to Turok. 
Um, you And then when you forced back, you left it to variance of whether he got to him you back. So just because he didn't draw the land off the top is like, that was variance. You know, it wasn't yeah. necessarily a good play. Um, even though it paid off in my favor, he didn't draw land for three turns. And, you know, I ran away with the game at that point. But, you know, just being able to sit there and talk through like, you know, hey, yes, this play worked out for you or it didn't work out for you, but is it a good play? Is it the correct percentage play to be making in these situations? And that's how you get better as a player. You know, you yeah. start seeing patterns like that and you're like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm necessarily doing, but I know that this is probably the correct play in this matchup. And then, you know, asking, you know, at the end of the matchup, just like you're saying, taking notes on the side, like, I don't know what this card does. I don't really know how it interacts. I don't know how this interacts with the stack if I do this. And just constantly trying to learn what the new cards that you're seeing do. You know? Yeah. Uh, so you uh, in in this scenario, you, he was playing Delver. I'm assuming. Uh, I don't know what he was playing. Uh, actually, to this day, I don't know what he's playing. He didn't get to play. <laughs> oh, that's fair because he didn't yeah. play it. When whenever that happens against Delver, when they're looking for a land like that, and and I, uh, you know, I get that like him to Torak effect. I kind of let it slide after that, specifically because. If they're not tempoing me out, I'm probably winning, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, Delver, all those counter spells are just there to protect the queen in in Delver. So, like, when when you're getting that value of like, oh, I just made him drop like what what is essentially a time walk and some other card, right? Mm -hmm. If if you can do that enough times against Delver, you just win because they run out of cards. Hundred percent. You know, it's um, I and you know, on the flip side of it. Let's say he does land that one land. Uh, I had lost multiple games now to and and throughout playing Legacy and learning Legacy and to one Delver flipped, and I couldn't fight back. Yeah. You know because I fought over a cantrip or I exactly. fought over something that just didn't matter. So if they're willing to fight over their cantrip, that's one less way they can fight over protecting what actually matters. Exactly. So being able to identify uh, what matters in a deck too. So another great question to sit there and ask someone. You know. Um, what do you think is like the biggest threats in your deck? What cards are you looking for in the matchup? Um, not even like what, you know, he brought it up. Phil brought up a great thing of, you know, what do you fear on my end? But also it's like, what are you looking for when you're sitting there and you, you cast that cantrip or when you cast that green sun zenith, what were you looking for that you knew was going to stump me so that I know what, what to look out for and how to better board for it. Yeah. And if you can and if you countered that green sun zenith, did it matter? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, are are there are you throwing out stuff just to see if I have anything, just to see if I'll counter it, you know, like a storm player just throwing out a dark ritual just to see what you do, you know, when they're low on mana. Um, so a lot of legacy I think is is learned over time. And if you're patient and you have a open mind to it, I think it is easily one of the greatest formats to play. Um there's so much variance. There's when new cards come out, regardless of what type it is, whether it's a commander card, whatever it is, you can potentially play with it. And I, I think the variance that you see, and you know, I love, I love brewers. Sometimes it's a little memey, but sometimes you see some cards like, ah, I don't know if I would ever run that, but the fact that you can is, is awesome. I like it. Yeah, I have an appreciation for uh, other brewers, even if they're they're way off the deep end on their brews, because usually if a like if you know a brewer is a good player, right? You're like, oh, this good player that I know is brewing a deck. Why are they doing that? Even if they're just looking to you know um, spice things up a little bit. Usually, when they're brewing, they're brewing to attack something, and so 
unless they have like a zany idea, if they're not just doing it for 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 kicks, I'll I'll ask like, what is this trying to target? And if they're going after like certain top players in the metagame, it's actually interesting to see I, uh, other people's ideas of how you're supposed to attack those decks. As a, like, so not every player is going to be different. Like, if you're coming into Legacy and you're like, I'm a combo player, I'm always casting LED. The way that you're going to want to like learn the format or learn getting back into Legacy to combat what you expect to face across the table is very different from a control mage getting back into the game. You know, mm -hmm. like the, the the way that we assess games is very different. And so finding the people that also have experience with those archetypes is, I think, the fastest way to skip all of the work that those people have already done already. You know, 100%. Like you, you can go through and do all of this, like work yourself of like learning all the things. But if, if somebody, if you ask somebody, Hey, have you tested this? Have you tested this? I'm trying this idea against this deck that I keep losing against. What do you think of that? If somebody's like, dude, I tried it for like three months and could not make it work. The follow-up to that is okay. How are you implementing it? And then if that's the way that you would have implemented it and it still didn't work, then suffice to say, you're probably safe not having to take the time to do so. But if they implemented mm -hmm. it differently than you thought you would, Ask them why they did that. And then you actually can learn where that mindset is and develop together. More brains is usually better than uh, trying to go at it alone. Yeah. Uh, and I, I found that when you were talking to me about why staff, here's what I would like to do. And the control decks that you were like, I'm looking at this. I want to play it like this. And then as we were talking, like, because right now in the control world, Zach, it might be different in the cast world. In the control Probably world, is. there's there's like the staff control lists. Then there's like the planeswalker days and doing control lists. Then there's the like fairy mastermind flash control lists. There's like generic like dudes like me that can't let go of counterbalance. Like there's a lot of different variations of control. Usually there's the four color control list with Minskin Boo. There's the five color Yorion control list like that are all essentially base blue white control decks with all of these other tools and all of those other tools are meant to combat different parts of the format, but how you navigate with those decks and against those decks is different based on which one you're piloting. And like, it's possible that the, uh, the misstepping the ponder and fighting over it is potentially valuable. If you're in like the Jeskai control deck with all the planeswalkers, cause you know, you're going to be tapping out for the next two or three turns. And so mm -hmm. that misstep is never going to be live where if you're in like the flash, uh, staff control deck, you're leaving up mana every turn for staff anyway, and if you can disguise your staff, so like th those decisions are always going to be nuanced from game to game, but knowing not only how to assess those positions, but how to assess those positions with the kind of list that you're running, and how that how those play patterns operate are also really, really valuable. I get that it's like a little bit more leveled up once you're back into it, but uh, I have found that the when I am requesting the same way for help from players that I find uh, that I believe are better than I am, and I'm asking for advice from them. The the I am approaching it through the lens of like, what is the control shell that they have been playing, and what's the play patterns that they believe are the correct ones, and that's how I would approach it. So like when we were talking about the staff list, staff Urza saga, that's a a, a Marcus uh, innovation, and so we were all in a chat talking about to Marcus about like, hey man, you've been crushing these leagues, you've been you know running hot in the challenges what is what is the approach to this list why why these card choices and i saw that those kinds of card choices then translated to other control mages it's so like mark vote who's been dominating in europe playing a four color control list but he was also on staff and i noticed he was also dropping prismatic endings to play spell pierce 
And I was like, what, what is going on? Why are we cutting prismatic ending? We're, we're just like, are we just deciding that we're going to lose the chalice? Is that what's going on? Like, what, what is the rationale here? And then once I saw that the, the pattern between all of these guys was we want to be able to disguise ourselves under a staff. And they're playing to leverage the fact that they have staff of the storyteller to run away with the game. And as long as they continue to leverage their mana in that way to either draw cards or interact and never waste anything, they'll come out ahead because their deck is built upon engines. So all that is to say, when when reaching out and learning and requesting from uh, people who are have more experience in the game, coming at it with like very precise, like what is it that you want to learn? Like what do you want to know beyond what card choices what style of deck like okay what card choices and why how do i implement them how do i use mm -hmm. them like the actually not not only knowing like oh these are the best cards this is why they're in the sideboard is also knowing like yeah fire off the meltdown against eight cast when it catches this thing like make sure that this gets swept up as part of it otherwise you're probably firing it off too soon or something like that you know like actually know in the games where you will be able to assess patterns but mm -hmm. um so sorry, going back to uh, the people that you recognize is now that you've come back into the game, are there is there like a, a group of people that now you sort of analyze games, card choices with things of that nature that you've gotten back in? Uh, I'm working on that still. Um, I don't really have a community down here yet that I can talk about card choices or anything like that yet, but I'm also been pretty busy with work, so I haven't been actively seeking it. Um. I'm still on that path too, where I've just I've just started to reach out to the, the like local scene yeah. here, and you know they, there's a play group that meets every Thursday, so I'm starting to, you know, get involved with that, and and uh, it takes time. It just takes yeah. it takes a little while, especially you know if you move or whatnot. Like that, just it, it becomes a whole thing where you have to like be an adult that has to you know make new friends, which is always hard. Yeah, and well, also beauty... go ahead. Oh, so given that we're on a podcast, was there any uh, resources outside of people directly that you like? Were, were there any resources that you listened to or looked into to learn more about getting back in or anything of that nature out uh, like beyond YouTube? Um, beyond YouTube would it just be probably MTG Top Eight, um, MTG Goldfish stuff like that that I'm just like looking up. Okay, well, this is a card I like. All right. Can I build a deck around it? What other decks are doing well with this card? Okay. And they're running these cards. And then I, I just, I have two screens and I sit there and I pull up three or four lists and I just look at them. I'm like, well, what's the subtle difference? Okay. Well, this guy's running this and he's, where are they making changes and variants? Um, I'm a spreadsheet guy too. So I, I love my spreadsheets. <laughs> so I'll sit there and I'll put down cards. I'm like, all right, well, this card popped up in MTG top eight multiple times, you know, this times and it, you know, that's this card top eights X amount of times, you know, whatever percentages. And I'll sit there and just lay out all these cards. I'm like, okay, well, these cards seem to actually be good and they're not just hyped. So mm -hmm. right now, one of them that I think is like, kind of like you're on either side of the coin, whether it's good or not is staff. Um, and I will say in my experience that every time I have landed staff and it has stuck around, it has just been an insane value engine. Um, and people, if they don't answer it, even if they kill my flyer that it makes me, uh, it it's insane. <laughs> so as long as you can feed it, it it will pay off. So um, especially when you go start talking about the miracles options, you talked about a play about you, you know um, setting up your uh, miracle to be on uh, when you can activate it on their turn, so you can get the triumph out. 
got to do that last night. It was great. It was my first good, perform- good? decent performance. Yeah, yeah I went three good, one, yeah. but it was uh, lost to Elves. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that'll happen. You know, yeah. Alistair yeah. Shepard, man. Alistair Shepard. <sighs> on, yeah. On the... yeah, that that, that card didn't exist when, when you when you took a break. Yeah, he had two of them out there, and I was like, oh, I should have brought in Pithing Needle so he can't activate it. You know, because I have the Urza as well. Ooh. So it's like, there's just things that I didn't think about. You know, you don't think about it. It's like, oh, I don't really know what's happening. And then, you know, as you lose to it, you know, like you said, learning from it. Um, sitting down, talking with people again, huge. Um, Dude, but yeah. That, and that's that, that's a point where like when, when somebody plays staff control and asks you, hey, Aaron, how do I play against elves? You can be like, it will sound weird, but board in Pithing Needle to name Alasaur Shepherd. Right. Yeah. Like that. 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 That kind of nuance is so valuable because nobody approaching the L's matchup is going. Well, obviously, I want Pithing Needle. Yeah. You know. But it has like actually a lot of high value targets between Allosaur Shepherd and Wirewood Symbiote. Like, there's there's a lot of tact there. There's a lot of Quirion Ranger. There, there's there's a lot that you can do with it, and you don't really need the um the Soul Lantern that because they don't really interact with their graveyard a whole lot. So um it's. It's just, I think, you know, you guys, the legacy community, magic community in general, people like their their thing that they do. And so it's like, find the people that do what it is and play the game the way you want to play the game. And the day and age, like the beauty of it is you're on the opposite end of the country and I'm able to sit down and chat with you and talk yeah. about magic. So it's just about reaching out to people and talking to them. If, if you can't find the people immediately in your local community that you can sit there and mesh with, that usually takes a bit of time because... You know, people have their people that they see. And if you're yeah. just, you know, you're the new guy. It's like, in, why am I talking to you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it takes time. It's going to take, you know, they're like, okay, it's another person that's going to be here for two weeks and then we'll never see again. Yeah. You know, so no new friends as you, sh- as you show <laughs> up and you sit there and um, casually talk to them, you know, get to remember people's names, like, oh, hey, man, how'd you do? And, you know, talking about their matches, let them tell you about their matches, you know, just kind of just be as greeting as possible as you can with these people and you know it helps integrate you into the community and in no time they'll be like hey you know what do you think about this what do you think about this? they'll start talking about their decks with you and then you guys can sit there and oh you guys ever like play test during the week you guys ever like go sit down or you know come over for a barbecue whatever and we can play some magic you know there's it just takes time when it's local i think and what we can do is, you know, I, I reached out and went to Phil and a bunch of other control players and uh, within a couple days, we were sitting there setting up times to talk, you know, so we have access around the entire world to talk to different magic players. And um, what's interesting, too, is also looking at uh, foreign metas and how they build your deck. Um, I remember looking at a lot of Japanese lists that they're they're always so much different they always have these cards i'm like why is this in the deck like this makes no sense and so just looking at different stuff because once you start looking at mtg top eight and you see you know for instance back like grixis delver when i played that a little bit um the grixis delver list really didn't change but all of a sudden you'd go see and you look at this japanese list and you're like wow this is why is this in the deck this is completely different they're running more true names why is that you know whatever and so just trying to get different um viewpoints on how to run your deck and then like you said just running through the questions of why and always asking why why you know not having someone like oh well, what do you think about this card and like no it sucks and that's all they say yeah no that's, that's, that's the, not, those are the worst those are the worst feedback. reddit comments ever it's like it's the, no this is bad it's like then tell me why yeah 
Yeah. You know, if I, if I sat there and I, I, you asked me for a book, you know, like, Hey, I'm looking for a book for, you know, for self-improvement. What do you recommend? I recommend a book to you. And you're like, okay, thanks. That does no good to you. You know, it's like, (laughs) like, you're like, that's a great book. I'm going to go check that out. No, what you do is you're like, okay, well, why did you like that book? What did you take from the book? What specific thing about that book do you use in your life today? You know, things like that. And the same thing happens with magic. So, you know, well, why did you choose this card? Why did, and how has it benefited you? Um, how do you deal with this matchup? Like I brought up to Philly. He's like, Oh, I just don't board for that matchup at all. I just hope to dodge it. And I was like, well, that's a valid thing. You know, <laughs> if that's and tracking, what did you go against? You go in your local meta and I write down every deck that I go against. And I'm like, okay, well, I've gone against this, this many times. So this is probably what I'm going to see. Mostly if I see elves, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. So it's well, on the topic of, of resources, you know, like Twitter's a great resource. Zoom, obviously a great resource. Uh, Spell Table, yeah. you can play people uh, that way. Uh, Moxfield is a great resource. We're sponsored by Moxfield um, as far as, like, you know, building your deck. And, uh, and and you can follow different people on there that you know are building decks. Like, Phil has Phil has his Miracles list on there that he's, he shares constantly. And, and that's a great resource because it's a great place to just build, to build your deck and, and kind of show it off. And show the changes that you've made on, on it. And it's also the that that's a resource where I a, a lot of people that have asked, hey Phil, what are you trying? Why are you trying it? Those sorts of things. Uh, I'll always give them my mox field because then they can also see the changes that I make and when I make them. And then if they're if if something throws them off, if they've spoken to me before, they can just be like, uh, I saw that you made this change. Why did you do that? So it like speeds up the process from having to like wait for another decklist dump or uh you know from mtg top eight when they actually do the like get submissions from decklist so like this past uh weekend no two weekends ago past weekend maybe i forget but i top eight at a 1k and i was i i played a one one force of will split i literally cut some force of wills out of my deck and i got some questions like phil why are you cutting forces and it was because i was experimenting i, I was legit like I, I didn't know if it was correct to do in the list that I was playing, but I was experimenting because I was on four counterbalance. And I found that with Triumph, having four counter, four Triumph and four Force of Will meant that my five drop slot was way too steep. And I wanted to cut it down for on uh, counterbalance. So I swapped to like so, like uh, a couple of spell pierces and things like that to offset the, the balance. But like, if you didn't know that going in, you'd just be like, oh, Phil's an idiot. He's cutting Force of Will. You can't do that. You yeah. know, so it's like when you if you see a list or if you see card choices and Mox Field is a great place to do it, that like approaching everybody's choice. If I see a deck list and I think it's weird and I don't know what's going on and it's control list and I'm interested, I won't assume that they're doing something wrong. I'll assume that they have thought through why they're making the choice and then I'll want to understand the thought process. And that is so much more informative, both of like from where they're approaching, how they're doing stuff, but also like how you can then look at things, you know? And that that was caught when I saw the prismatic ending was cut for spell pierce. And I was like, what is going on? Why are they doing that? I imagine this is how you and I, Aaron, feel every time we look at a Japanese list. What is going on? (laughs) Why are they doing this? And it's like the the stuff like on paper, I'm like, this looks strange to me. It's like almost unpalatable. Like it it, like, it like feels weird to look at it and be like, something Mm. is amiss. And the idea, like, I have I've never been able to speak to a Japanese player, but like to be like, why why are you playing 1K command? Why? What is going on? Why yeah. is this happening? You know, 
that that's that's useful. And I found that Moxfield is sort of like expedited that process pretty significantly. Yeah, uh, you showed me. Uh, you actually shared your Moxfield when we sat there and talked about it. And I didn't think anything of it because I just thought it was another site that you just track your deck list. But um, about two days ago, I actually looked into Moxfield and I'm starting to explore it. But it seems like a pretty awesome resource. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I grew up with the guys that that made the the site, and then uh, you know, we just we just started using the using it as our go to deck list thing. And the more we used it, the more we were like, look at all these features that this has that like other you know redacted deck site doesn't have. And mm -hmm. and it's it, it just like, like Phil said, it sort of just expedites the process when you're when you're uh, one when you're building a deck, but then two, you know, being able to to show your changes to you know write a primer about this stuff as well like there's so many features that like i barely get to barely even have scraped you said you play uh commander there's this feature on there called uh packages and like let's say you you always are going to run the same sultai lands and and a new sultai commander comes out you can just go to your sultai lands package drop it in that's wild like it's just something that that's that's been there for a long time that I just found mm -hmm. out about. Like, it, and that's a like really cool feature. You know, if Phil wanted to make another Miracles deck, he could just be like Miracles Land package, bam, or like Miracles Cantra package, bam. You know? Yeah, it's super yeah. nice because typically with the lands, like when you're changing a deck, it's you'll make some a couple subtle changes to it, but being able to just rip and pull the entire lands is just time saving. Yeah. Like I've never, I've never not played the same eighteen lands in Rug Delver. You know, like it's the same, <laughs> it's the exact same eighteen lands every time. Rug Delver package, bam, and then you create the rest of the deck. You know, uh, even and, if you have like, uh, you know, there's there's decks like that that only have like six flex slots, and you're like, okay, well, this is my new, my new version of this deck, and you could be like, that is a package. Now I'll add the six cards, you know, like it's it just, yeah. it's an interesting feature that, you know, the other deck sites don't, don't really have or haven't really explored. Yeah. One thing that I've, I found is particularly useful. I mean, I get that, like the, the that was part of the sponsorship content, but like, uh, aside from that, one thing that like genuinely I didn't expect when using Moxfield compared to anything else. I mean, now that I use Moxfield more is that if there are players that you, that you are always interested in their lists, right? Like I'm always looking at the European guys control lists because they always do well. And I want to be able to like, to, to be able to see like where they are evolving their lists, like people who keep their lists up to date, you like sort of see their, their process as they're going through it. You like see changes that they're making. If you just like routinely check in on their list and be like, Oh, I don't remember seeing this before. Like what's going on with that or particular swaps. And if they don't have certain things that you're like, oh, I really, really want this card. Like I don't have, they don't have the meltdown in the board. And I feel like I'm just naked to eight cast without it. What are they doing without that? Like those sorts of like interesting insights are only spurred because you're able to look at a deck list in real time, you know? Yeah. And uh, like, I, I try to keep my miracles list up to date as much because if anybody ever follows it and is like curious as to know where anything's going, they can they can actually see in real time every time right before they go to an event or they're like sleeping up cards they can say okay wh where's what's going on here why is he doing that and uh one example uh recently was I, I moved away from red which uh gives me power blast and meltdown and all those good sideboard cards because i wanted to be able to play a cleaner mana base i didn't like being exposed so heavily all the time to wasteland and but by 
moving, I moved away from red and therefore I moved away from prismatic ending and towards March of otherworldly light. And although I don't necessarily think March is better, March is better than prismatic ending in certain situations that those sideboard cards were making up a lot of points for. So by being a triumph list, I'm a four X triumph list, which means that I'm already, I already feel like I'm pre-boarded for Delver because triumph is insane. And so I was like, okay, I think I can give up some points against Delver because I already feel like I have this giant pre-boarded haymaker. And I feel like I'm soft to Urza Saga. So by moving over to March of Otherworldly Light, I have something that can catch the Urza Saga in spots where, like, that can still catch uh, Chalice as well. So I gain a little bit of edge against Urza Saga by playing March, and I lose a little bit of edge against Delver by not being able to trade at mana parity with a prismatic ending. And But, like, those those sorts of shifts, like, March of Otherworldly Light makes me feel like I'm good enough against Urza Saga that I don't necessarily need the Meltdown. And those kinds of card choices implying, okay, then what are you what, they, what are you soft to? I, I have found that Moxfield has helped me uh, isolate those positions with other uh, control mages to then be able to hash that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Also, and that, and that ends our sponsored segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, just being able to play it at instant speed, like especially against those tempo decks, sometimes the fact that you're playing on their turn disrupts their their pace so much yeah. uh, you may not even get it they may daze it they may counter it but because they weren't able to put down that second threat it in time it gives you enough time to build up your land base and actually start fighting over stuff that previously you wouldn't have been able to because you had to do it at sorcery speed and they were allowed to play their game at their their way so yeah. So when you came yeah. back from from your break and you got back in and you recognized what all these new cards did which were the which were the cards that were the most jarring when you read them versus when you played them and then did that inform how you approached how you thought the game coming back to the game would be like because you obviously had a memory of like what you played and what the format was like when you left and then coming back how much of your expectations if any were disrupted by these new powerful effects um so Okay, so what brought me back initially was how excited I was to play a Days Undoing control deck. I was like, this is so cool. This is going to be amazing. It's so broken. Da, 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 da. Um, and I, th- I still think it's good. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to play it properly. But it's. Uh, but then I looked at cards like Urza's Saga, and I was like, I mean, this doesn't do anything. Um, and this is I how I at, thought Urza Saga worked when I, when yeah, I first everyone's saw it. like sitting. I was looking at it, I was like, man, everyone's running this Urza Saga. And I was like, yeah, it makes it makes an artifact, whatever, not a big deal. I'll plow it. I, and I just disregarded the card entirely. Um, I didn't even read the whole card, I just looked at yeah. it at the beginning. I was like, eh, it's just it, it is what it is. We have that video that, on why Urza um, Saga is good up like, here, like, you can, I, you can go find I, it. I, 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 something to be said. So, you, you honestly, your your assessment wasn't too far off from everybody else when Modern Horizons 2 came out. Yeah, everybody was so high on things like Dragon Rage Channeler and Renin 6 and Ragavan and like the like the just straightforwardly busted stuff that like mm-hmm. Urza Saga was more like it. it came to fruition pretty quickly but it like when it was spoiled it was like maybe maybe it's good yeah. maybe no, no nobody was like, was why like, do i want an pillar. enchantment zero people <laughs> recognized like this is a yeah. pillar of legacy now immediately yeah. you know yeah and i was looking at other stuff like initiative um 
same thing. Like it was one of those things that like I saw it going on, but I didn't know what it did. I didn't understand what people were moving the dice on the table because usually I'd be working and I just have something up on YouTube playing on the side, usually 90s. And I was like, oh, this person has initiative and they start doing stuff. And I was like, okay, initiative is something. Don't I got to figure out what that does later. You're like, um, oh, his opponent's at five. Why is that? I was like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on, but you know, <laughs> it's, there's a bunch of new stuff that I had to learn. And so when as I saw also just the I can't emphasize the power creep enough because before you just had so much time to play your game as a control player I feel like you could play this like my turn your turn my turn and just swap back and forth and just slowly grind people out but now there's stuff that just there's so many things that just have to be answered and if you don't answer them in an ample amount of time the game's done uh initiative being one of them uh mm -hmm. if you don't get that initiative back it changes your lines of play so much where uh for instance i once again i went against a stoneforge player played a stoneforge mystic and grabbed this torch thing that gives you initiative it's a torch equipment i forget yeah. the name trailblazer um, something yeah, yeah, trail yeah and i was sitting there i was like okay well I have a staff out with a with a flyer if i play it and then that's probably not enough because he's probably sitting on plow I have removal for his creature, but he has Caracas to bounce his Thalia, and I'm sitting there just lurking this. I was like, how do I get an initiative back? And all of a sudden, now that I know what initiative is, your entire play pattern changed. You're like, all right, I need to play this and the Urza Saga this turn instead of uh, getting more colored mana to do other things. Because if I don't put out a creature before he starts getting too deep into initiative, then I'm never going to catch up. Um, and Whereas, you know, like, let's say someone had Monarch before or something like, all right, that's fine. You're doing this stuff, but I'll get it back when it's convenient for me, um, as long as it doesn't run too long, you know. Um, and, you know, Urza Saga, too, just I can't talk about how good that card is. <laughs> like, it's... I I thought the card was so mediocre and the amount of games and until I played with it and saw like what it was capable of and all of a sudden being able to pull pithing needle out of your board and just search it up pull the yep. pull the soul lantern out immediate and they can't do anything about it yeah <laughs> you know, well the number just, of times just... that i had to explain to somebody like this is two Calden warlords and a and a card that gives them lifelink and trample like it's insane and they'll yeah. be like no i don't see it and then and then like you're look you know you play it out with them and they're like geez that's no that's that's not okay yeah you know? it, it, it doesn't seem powerful as it's happening but then all of a sudden you just slowly feel the game is being lost and you're like what yeah. what happened I, it was one Urza's saga like i don't get it and it was like the game's gone now because you didn't deal with it yeah. and you reckon and, you th th that's one of a valuable though to, lesson to be had there as a control player the cards that you have problems with when you get to play with them yourselves and actually see how they operate and then uh -huh. you also can recognize I that w if there's a weak spot, you'll be able to identify where the weak spot is as the pilot, and then when you're on the other side of the table, be able to go, oh, I can I recognize this pattern. That's the weak spot. That's where I need to time my interaction or whatever it may be. Yep. There was one point where uh, I saw there was a, a recent game that I saw where a just guy control player. Uh, I know he was playing staff. I don't know the rest of the list though, but he was going up against a red painter player, and. He's grinding, he's grinding. The stuff is going fine. The Red Painter player has exactly Urza Saga and Ancient Tomb. The Urza Saga is on two. He spends his Ancient Tomb to cast the Painter and passes the turn. 
And the Jeskai player did not recognize that that represented a kill. Yeah. Because the Urza Saga can float the mana, tutor up the grindstone, saving the mana because it's already in play, and then tapping the Ancient Tomb, that's three mana to activate the grindstone and kill them. And they didn't they didn't recognize that Urza Saga was essentially two mana in that line when they untapped. And that was a big deal. A they fate within a fate, even, really, yeah. They were able to, they were able able to do that even without a land drop. But it's also like once you know that, like once you recognize that Soul Land uh Urza Saga Soul Land Painter is a kill, then you know I'm not gonna run it, I'm not gonna fall for the kill, right? Like yeah. and you can and it's like you were it's like you were saying, you can position yourself, but you need to recognize like not, like once you it's it's like in chess right you know exactly how to uh uh checkmate with a, a rook and a queen against the king mm -hmm. like here's the the easiest way to do it same thing ancient tomb or a saga painter that's a kill yeah. recognize yep. it yeah yeah try i think just recognize it too just all all the different there's every threat now that's a, the power creep is very subtle if that makes any sense like initiative doesn't happen in one turn you know, uh, Urza Saga, it doesn't happen in one turn. You know, it's not like before where I cast show and tell, here's my Grizzlebrand, here's my Emmercool. You know, it's like I can quickly identify. It feels like the power creep is this, you know, you have to have card knowledge. You have to have a little bit of matchup knowledge and understand what what is their end goal. Um, because if you don't fight over the right things now, it's uh, you're just the game eventually gets to the point where you can't come back. Yeah, you're kind of offered a chance to to like choose the right path, and if you choose the wrong path, it, it it's mm -hmm. over. Yeah, but if you do, yeah. if you do make, and, and this comes all the way back down to deck building, but if you make the right mm -hmm. decision, uh, when when that crux happens, uh, you know you have a chance at least. Yeah, and and before too, I'd say when I left, you know, sometimes I think more so now you have to play three turns ahead comparatively to before whereas before sometimes my deck would just carry me sometimes it's like oh hit and treat we're cool i'm stable we're, we're done like i don't oh, hit terminus reset you don't have any more resources we're good you know my deck you're you're, 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 you're saying me. poetry right now man yeah <laughs> hitting and treat miracle and like you, you I, oh, I, can feel, I can feel the dopamine right now yeah i i, I would just be like ooh. You know, it's like it's yeah, here. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. miracle, and that that rush of joy you got knowing you're just like you just put so much effort to just have everything go to the bottom of your deck, or you know, here's my angels. That Delver isn't so scary anymore. Yeah. You know, and it so it, it was such a your deck would carry you so much more. I feel like before, whereas now, um, I feel like control. You know, it, it just has you. You have. I mean, this has always been control. Is having you have all the answers but no questions um so and now you're trying to okay i have to put out my own question at some point here but i have to do it in a mindful way because if i tap down at the wrong time there's the enemy the opponent's deck sequence starts and if i can't immediately answer it with backup to defend my answer it the game's gone you know it's yeah. just you can't do anything so it's I think it's, it's it's such an exciting time in Magic for me because you you have to start planning ahead. You have to start identifying different things because before too, if it feels semi stale after a while, I, I've felt that way where I'm like, okay, well I know this deck and I know I have to answer this this this, but now there's so many threats out there and so many different things and you can't fight against it all. It, it's just such an exciting time to be playing Control in my opinion or any deck really, like because 
you know, even if you're a combo player and you're sitting there, there's so much different. I, I can't even, it was a Lanivia or Lavinia. Like Lavinia. there's so Lavinia? many, like, you know, <laughs> Lavinia. Yeah. The blue white. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Creature. The, the I'm Lavinia. looking at all those hate sideboard stuff that, you know, like there's so much unique hate too for decks that are out there now. That's it's awesome. You know? So I, th I think it's an exciting time. Yeah. Magic, I think, so. I, I think one of the cool things is I used to, you, you you'd hit like, week two of a set being out and you were like okay the legacy cards have been you know positioned into into the decks that they want to be positioned into now it's another two and a half months till a set comes out now it's mm -hmm. like i i still look forward to to a set coming out but there's so much to explore still uh you know months after a set comes out where whereas mm -hmm. i felt like before you know because things are pushed that's a little bit a little bit of a part of it but uh i, I don't feel like I don't feel the format being as stale as it used to feel every now and again. I'd be like, well, I've got the the 56 cards in my rug delver list that I'm playing. And then, you know, depending on the meta of these six slots. And then it be it quickly became like, okay, like every time a set comes out, I have to look and see like what what are some things that I can test. And and you only have, you know, you only have 12 weeks between mm -hmm. sets, basically. Uh so you have to you have to spend those those slots. Uh, you know, you you basically have a limited amount of slots that you can mess around with uh, for an entire uh, you know couple weeks worth of tournaments before you're like, okay, this is what I'm on. Here's a big event coming up, and this is what I'm going to play. You know, yeah. And as a like new players getting into Legacy, uh, it's, I mean, it's it's an investment up front. But you know, every time I've bought into Legacy and you sat on my and sat on my cards down the road, it's, it's always seems like if you ever got out, your money was always increased. Yeah. You know, but beyond that, you know, there's so many good resources out there. You can go to Kinkos and for you know eight bucks, seven bucks, print up your your deck on or like five, ten decks that you're interested in, and sit there and just with your friends, sleeve them up, put them in, you know, get a bunch of basic lands, slide them into some sleeves. And just play the decks and yep. see how they feel. You know, that's so, like, you know, if you're looking to get into the format, I think that's, and I'm sure there's an online option that's better uh, that I'm unaware of. But for me, I like paper. I like sitting down across from my friends. So I find that, you know, proxying up your decks for, you know, 30, 40 bucks, the ones you're interested in, is such I, a strong investment. Yeah. I have a uh, a resource that I used for a long time that you uh, reminded me of. I haven't used it in a while because I because of the pandemic and everything. But b prior to lockdowns, I used this all the time with one of my good friends, uh, Jared, who uh, we expect to have on the cast uh, in the next couple of weeks. Like you, I also prefer having the cards in my hand. Like I like the dexterity of having the cards in my hand. I feel like I learn better when I have the cards in my hand than when I'm playing online. Like I still make mistakes in paper, even if I've practiced it online, because I'm just not physically used to how I'm supposed to do the things. Mm -hmm. And one of the very useful tools for me was a website called metadeck.me. And mm -hmm. that that is, it's a, essentially you get to import a bunch of different deck lists and then it will print you a column. Oh yeah, not a column, that's a, right. It'll yeah. print you like 12 rows where each row can represent a card in a different deck list. So if you're like, I want to try, you know, four different versions of Jeskai and three different versions of Four Color and Yorion Control, what you can do is you can actually set a deck to each uh, row. And so your card will show 12 rows, each with a different card in each row, a named card in each row. But yeah. then you and you're playing yeah, deck playing, three this, this I'm going to play deck yeah. three, and that's Jeskai with all the walkers, and deck four is Jeskai Staff or whatever. 
the limiting factor is you have to know what all the cards do because yeah. it only says yeah. the name. So if, if, if that's not your bottleneck, if your bottleneck is learning play patterns and learning how to actually uh, pilot a deck, which is where I was and my buddy Jared was when we would play test, we knew what all the cards did. It was yeah. just a matter of figuring out what are the best ones and how do we operate them together. Metadoc.me is actually a resource that I, I highly recommend to people too. That's also great because then you just print two decks and you have a gauntlet. That's what I mean. Yeah. So yeah. when we were yeah. when we would we would essentially decipher a metagame and we would pick the decks that we knew we wanted to play or some versions of the ones that we wanted to play. And then we would print the like the like six top decks we expected the field to be, yeah. like the likeliest that we were going to run into that we felt we needed to be prepared for. And then one of us would just play one of the gauntlet decks, even yeah. if we knew we weren't going to be piloting them. And then we would just practice that way, going back and yeah. forth. And that's a, that just a, that's just a good way to to get better at the game, period. And if honestly, you want to talk about tournament prep, that is one of the best things you can do is not just playing your deck, is play the other decks that you're going against and feel the flow of the deck. Like, yeah. start to see like, okay, well, these are some pinch points that went, okay, they don't have a lot of three drops. So if I fight them over turns one and two, like, I'm not worried about some scary three or four drop. You know, I know where to fight the deck, you know, learning yeah. how to play the other decks, not, not, don't even have to play it well, just seeing, playing a couple games with them. That'll get you so much better at your deck. I, I can't even describe the value that gives you. Yeah. The, the, what, what, the value that I remember taking when I would pilot the other decks again, like we wouldn't even necessarily finish the games. We would just get mm -hmm. to critical points. We would get to the mm -hmm. critical junctures and, and then we would play it. We knew that that was the critical juncture. And then we would just pull it back and analyze that positional mm -hmm. thing yeah. and be like, had you done it this way, this would not have been, this would have been the outcome. And that would have been more favorable. And we would just try and assess those patterns. That was, that was really where the play testing on those things were really valuable because we didn't spend hours upon hours upon hours of just playing games. We would play the games to the critical points and then discuss the critical points. You know, mm -hmm. it's like when you play against storm, you know, that when a, like the storm pilot, when the pilot could go for it, how when they were going for it what were the minimum number of resources that they needed in order to break through x amount of interaction and so if you're playing the control deck if if the game is developing and you go okay they have access to x amount of mana this is implying to me that i need x amount of inter pieces of interaction otherwise they're going to be able to break through granted this was back mm -hmm. when like you could pass in flames through a force of will but like that that sort of thing was valuable because then that let the control player know how do i assess my cantrips like, mm -hmm. I have two pieces of interaction. They can beat three. I am extremely far behind in this game, even though nothing is happening on board. You know, like, yeah. knowing that kind of value, that that value as a game progresses, it's it's stuff from that kind of playtesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a, an essential piece of learning a format as yeah. well, is learning those decks. And then you also recognize when you play those decks where you feel soft, you know? Like when mm -hmm. you pilot elves, you're like, oh man, when they hit the Wirewood Symbiote, I feel really naked. I'm mm -hmm. kind of just a dopey shitter deck without Wirewood Symbiote, you know? Whereas if you're on the other side and you're like, wow, I only hit the Symbiote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know. yeah. There, there's uh, there, uh, one of the uh, things that I learned playing against Green White Depths, so I was doing something similar while I was practicing against that deck because it was really popular. This was before uh, uh, like it sort of fell off. I don't know why it fell off, but it sort of did. But back when it was like winning a bunch of tournaments because it had a really good Delver matchup. I remember where anytime my opponent represented a green sun zenith for one, I had to fight over it because that was represented oh, Sylvan yeah. Safekeeper. Oh, no, so, in, in, oh, in, yeah, in, yeah. in that deck, it represented Sylvan Safekeeper. Yeah. And if you didn't keep in all of your board sweepers, 
that implied whether or not you're supposed to fight over the green zones yeah. unit because yeah. either you left in your board sweepers because you had to you were you were consciously like i need to be able to be sylvan safekeeper or if you boarded out your uh depending on how you wanted your board plan to be, if you boarded out your sweepers, then you were like, okay, well now I just have to use all my counter magic to fight over the green sun zenits. And that mm -hmm. changed how you changed, that changed your sideboard plan when you knew the, the those critical points when I in, when you play the matchup. And that ha that comes from testing, you know? Yeah. Also just having multiple brains around sitting down and just, okay, like this is that, this is this matchup. And how would, how do, this is how I think I would board. What do you guys think? And just being able to sit there and not have to guess. And so you're like, okay, I'm against this matchup. I saw this, this, and this. I know how to board. You yeah. know, you're not sitting there guessing like, do I take this out? Do I take this? You know, in your middle of a big tournament, you know, eight rounds, nine rounds, whatever it is. Uh, the less tax you can put on yourself of having to think about that stuff, the better you're going to do, the better decisions you're going to make. So... Over the that kind of, of preparation, time. yeah, I can't overstate that kind of preparation. But th that that's where the you know, can I get a sideboard guide? How do you sideboard? Like the the shallowness of that is still going to leave a lot of gaps in your play because mm -hmm. you, it's like you were talking about before with the book analogy. Not only do you need to know how to sideboard, the sideboard needs to represent something in game to you when you're doing it. Like mm -hmm. if if so, if I showed you how I boarded against green white taps, and then you didn't know that that was with the thought in mind that you are going to use your counter magic on green sun zenith like mm -hmm. if you don't know that and they resolve green sun zenith and then you get bodied and you're like i don't know what's going on i boarded exactly like i was i thought i was supposed to and yeah, this it, is it, an unwinnable you know, matchup yeah, yeah you know, it's like that's where that it, stuff comes in yeah and it's like if you did it, it's like those types of things when you look at sideboard guides or ask somebody like how do you board it's like you need to know how somebody boards and then also what are then the critical things that they need that they care about in the matchup mm -hmm. that if they if they don't think that something out of their board can be helpful with, like, yeah, I don't feel like I ever needed Terminus because they can win at instant speed. And if I can't set up the Terminus at instant speed, none of it matters. So mm -hmm. I find that positionally, that's bad for me. But I do have answers to Green Sun Zenith main board. I can use my counter magic to fight over that. And so I can devote my sideboard slots to the other problematic things in the deck based on what I've seen over, like, looking at the list for that given metagame. But... You know, your sideboard isn't going to solve all of the problems. It will solve some of the problems that your main deck otherwise can't. And so being able mm -hmm. to isolate those problems and then address that in sideboarding, there's value there, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. Well, we're we're running we're running uh like very low on time. Uh but Aaron, I I, I wanna thank you for for coming on. And uh we, we definitely want to have you back as as you kind of uh as your journey continues through through legacy and, and see how see how that uh progresses. Yeah, I'd loved it. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for I sure. One, one, one last question now with uh, this the SEG Baltimore. There's uh, a couple of 5Ks, a 10K, a lot of legacy action happening this weekend. Uh, two questions. If you were going to SEG Baltimore to play in a 10K, what deck would you play? What version of a deck would you play right now? And mm -hmm. two, uh, if you were to go into... So the fun thing about this weekend is Lord of the Rings comes out at the same time and will be legal. Yeah. So everybody will be played. Everybody will be playing. Like if card availability, card availability for the first time in a long time that I can remember, maybe an issue. The one ring is legal. Orcus Bowmasters is legal. All this stuff will be legal. This Thoron's ransom can, is legal. If you can get your hands on it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, would you change your uh, preparation 
under these circumstances, not knowing if car if if people will actually have the cards to play the lists that they'd like to play with a new set. I think 100% I would not change my list. I would play the deck that I'm comfortable with. I would like to test up. If I was sitting there and I was able to test it, like proxied with friends and stuff, sure, I would consider him like, okay, this does work. Um, but knowing that a lot of the people aren't going to have access to the cards, it's so new. Uh, many of the people pre-ordered it online and they'll be waiting for it to ship to them. It won't be even available to them at the tournament. I would just play what I'm good at, what I'm comfortable with, because especially in big tournaments, you know, people, you know, some people will get, I, I used to be this way when I first got into it, like, well, this Grixis Delver is really strong and I'm on death and taxes. And then I, but I was like, but I like soul tie. So and, like, I kept like, well, power hopping everywhere. And then yeah. I, I was mediocre at everything I played. Legacy is such a uh, format of like, you can be a one trick pony and beat all your bad matchups. If you know how to navigate the bad matchups, that is so much more valuable than having a new tech yeah. Um, to me. So it's, if you're comfortable, I, I, I personally, I wouldn't switch. Um, I would stay on what I knew and what I'd been practicing. And um, if I did have to test anything, it would be Orchestra Master or Delighted. <laughs> Delighted Half-Legs, so cool. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, uh, if I were to test, it'd be one of those. But it would only be something that I knew directly how to implement it into my strategy. So yeah. I know Orkish is good. So yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, that, that does it for us uh, today. If you found value here, uh, thank you for liking and subscribing, all that stuff. Uh, help the algorithm out. Uh, and uh, that does it for us this week. Uh, Aaron, thanks so much, man. Thank you, guys. Come on, man.